to a special edition of the Left Behind Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Markovich. Joining me on the show today is a former NDP candidate uh, from 2015, Jillian uh, Raddy. Uh, she's a clinical lecturer and family physician at the University of Calgary's Department of Family Medicine. Jillian, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being on. Thanks for having me. So um, I understand that in Alberta right now, there's a couple of controversial uh, pieces of legislation that have been um, passed through at least first reading in the uh, Alberta legislature. Give us, uh, give us a little bit of a breakdown of what's been going on the last few weeks. Oh, sure. I mean, it's been a very chaotic time. It's been quite clear that Jason Kenney's new government has taken the opportunity to uh, fire hose us with lots of overwhelming things, lots of cuts, pretty much anything you can think of is being thrown at us in the media right now. And um, yes, so the, the the major bills that I have been focusing on, because we do have to focus on a couple given how many they've thrown at us, the ones we've been focusing on um, are Bill 207, which is a private member's bill that focuses on conscience rights for health professionals in Alberta. And uh, that is seen by many, many people in um, the left-wing communities and in the anti or in the um, pro-abortion communities as uh, a, a piece of legislation that's meant to be foot in the door, essentially, for anti-abortion activists to try and get uh, further restrictions on abortion and advance their anti-abortion agenda. Um, so that's the first one. And then Bill 22 is, uh, it, it's uh, really, I, I, I bring that one up second because it's almost hard to talk about. Um, it's, it's actually authoritarian. It is actually anti-democratic. Um, it's essentially a, a massive omnibus bill, including pretty much anything you can think of. Um, the most upsetting part of it, and there are many upsetting parts of it, is that um, it fires the elections commissioner that is under that is actively investigating the UCP. The elections commissioner is in the process of investigating the UCP for various electoral, um, electoral issues. Uh, and there's a lot of allegations that um, uh, the the leadership race for Jason Kenney was, was full of various kinds of fraud. And so, um, and let me be clear, there's a couple of different kinds of investigations going on. There's an elections commissioner investigation which is looking into the Elections Act issues. And then there is an RCMP investigation looking into the the potential for actual criminal fraud within that context. So the RCMP investigation at this point into the UCP is still going on as per usual so far. But the Elections Commissioner part of that investigation is, is will essentially be brought to a halt if that bill passes. So, um, I mean, we'll, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just sort of gobsmacked that I'm even saying this out loud. It is quite clearly corruption that is meant to 
improve this party's chances of being electorally successful again. And it's it's something that I don't think I ever really thought I'd see in my lifetime. So it's it is actually almost a little bit hard to talk about. Yeah, it's um it it brings a couple of different uh, things to mind, in particular with um, Bill two oh seven and this notion of conscience rights. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what that means and uh, possibly get into what existing legislation is already in place at the federal level when it uh, comes to conscience rights? Uh, So conscience rights is really the idea that, um, I mean, in my context, that health professionals can refuse to perform medical services or be involved with medical services that they find ethically or or ethically questionable or against their conscience in a real way, usually in a religious way. So there are already protections in the Human Rights Code around all of what I have just said. And in addition to that, uh, in our province, in Alberta, there are guidelines for physicians around what to do in these sorts of situations. So the College of Physicians of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta uh, has guidelines saying essentially that if you do not wish to perform a procedure or take part in a procedure or a medical service that you're uncomfortable with for a reason of conscience, you do not need to do so, but you do need to refer to a doctor who can help the patient so that the patient can access medical services. So what this bill, what Bill 207 does is remove the ability for the college to sanction a physician for not referring a patient. So essentially it means that um, health professionals would be allowed to tell a patient, no, I cannot help you. If, for example, a woman came to them wanting an abortion or a pregnant person came came to them wanting an abortion. they could just say, no, I can't help you, and walk out the door. Under the current rules, they would have to say, I can't help you, but here is the phone number of the physician who can. Um, and, I mean, to be clear, there's already a lot of physicians not helping patients in these situations. There's a lot of that already happening that we don't really know about. And, I mean, everybody I know has heard of an anecdote where they know of a colleague or have seen a situation where a patient has not been referred. So it's already happening. It's just that if we do find out about it right now, we can make complaints. Patients can make complaints, other physicians, other healthcare providers, we can make complaints and say that doctor didn't refer, they should have because they are not meeting standard of care. So what Bill 207 does is remove that completely. And so it actually takes the ability away from our regulator to sanction physicians who just say, no, I'm not going to help you. You're on your own. And there's there's huge issues with access. I mean, a lot of people, when they first hear this story, say, well, that's not that big of a deal, is it? I mean, physician, or patients can just find some help somewhere else, right? No big deal. But it's actually a really big deal. Um, You know, I mean, sure, in an urban setting, I suppose you can kind of argue, all right, if 
Dr. X says, no, I refuse to prescribe you birth control. Okay, all right, fine. You go to another clinic down the street and you keep trying until you find a doctor who prescribes it to you. It's a pain in the butt in that scenario, but what's the big deal? Well, that's because the big deal is that's the the minor that's the minor example that you can possibly give for that. I mean, uh, the more major examples and things that all also happen are when you're looking at rural access to to service. This is it's huge rurally. This issue is massive rurally. If you live in a small town in Alberta and you are uh, someone who is pregnant and would like an abortion, and you've only got one doctor in the town, and that doctor is anti-abortion and says, nope, I won't help you, uh, you know, it could be really hard for that person to try and find another provider who is willing to help them. You know, who knows how long they have to drive, how many other small towns they have to go through to find someone who's gonna help them. And it's not just as, easy as self-referral. It is not that easy. And especially when patients are in situations like these, they're going to be under a lot of stress and really not in a place where they're going to be able to find those resources themselves as easily. The whole reason they come to us is because they're looking for a certain amount of support and expecting it, and they're owed it, frankly. These are very, very difficult situations. And I mean, it's not just about abortion either. It's about trans healthcare. It's about um, medical assistance in dying. It's about LGBTQ healthcare. There's, and these are all generally vulnerable populations in comparison to the population of physicians. So from my perspective, it's just totally ludicrous to be legislating rights and privileges for the most powerful person in that relationship. As physicians, we are the people with the power and with the resources to cope with our moral distress and to find ways to deal with that. And, um, you know, we deal with lots of forms of moral distress, lots and lots and lots. And for me, the issues that are really being legislated when it comes to conscience rights are just a tiny fraction of the things that we have to deal with on a daily basis as doctors. Our patients are constantly making decisions that we think are a bad idea, and we just have to deal with that. Uh, you know, it's really just never our place to make decisions for our patients, ever. Um, and frankly, a government should be legislating on behalf of vulnerable populations, not on behalf of physicians who are doing okay with how they cope with their moral distress. Um, and I also really, really take issue with the fact that this legislation makes it sound like doctors want this. It kind of is putting this, this glean on it, like, look how nice we're being to doctors. Where, you know, doctors, they're so hard done by. They have such a hard time doing all this stuff that they don't want to do. Let's do this lovely piece of legislation on their behalf. And frankly, it's just a smokescreen. If they really wanted to help physicians with their moral distress, they would have spoken with physicians. The Alberta Medical Association has put out a statement totally against this legislation. 
they have not spoken to the width and breadth of the physician population. It's very clear to me that this is not about physicians or healthcare providers and their needs at all. So let's assume then, you know, given what we've seen so far in the legislature, that this bill does come to pass after second and third reading and receives assent. What would be then the next logical step for groups like the Alberta Medical Association and other groups that have come out against this bill? Um, what can they do to you know, continue to provide patients with the care that they need? Wow, that is a really excellent question. I don't think they have a plan for that. Um, I suppose it would probably end up being damage control. I, I've actually been in touch with the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta quite a bit about this issue recently. And um, and the reason for that is because they have refused to take the same stance as the Alberta Medical Association. So the AMA is our professional body and the CPSA is our regulatory body. So essentially the CPSA governs physician standards and the AMA represents the needs of physicians. Um, so the AMA has said this is bad legislation, but the CPSA has said we don't need this legislation. And for me, the, that's a distinction um, that's important. And I've been trying to push the CPSA to say we we are against this legislation because it is not in the best interest of patients and the public because the CPSA is beholden to the public and the public good. But they have not gone that far with that statement and I have been trying to get them to do that so um, but I don't think they will they are doing their own thing so really uh, your question uh, is what are we going to do if this happens and I don't think we have an answer what can we do it's it's just going to end up being grassroots physicians figuring it out and doing the best we can but it makes a situation where, especially rurally, like I mentioned before, where there's little access already, the doctors among us who really care about access are, are going to struggle to try and provide access to the communities who don't have it. Because Alberta is a big province and, you know, there's just not enough rural doctors uh, who might be available to provide everything that everyone needs. Um, and, I, you know, I... I wish I could say that if this bill were to pass in its entirety, that there would be some sort of physician outroar about it. Um, I'm not sure it would go that far. There is a, a good group of us who are incredibly vocal and who will continue to be vocal. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one. And I think, again, there's the big issue of if that does pass, then anti-abortion groups and... Um, so-called conscience rights groups are going to feel like they can push for more from this government next time. Um, and that is the, the essence of foot in the door. And that's why 207 is so dangerous. Now I'm actually, um, I'm actually going to testify at the legislative committee tomorrow night for this bill. And, um, so and I'm, I've heard that there are some amendments that have been made to it. I don't really know exactly how far they go. I've heard that the requ I've heard that that particularly contentious part 
about not being able to file a complaint against a physician if they say, no, I can't help you. I've heard that that's been removed. I don't, I don't know what the actual language says. Certainly I'm hopeful it's been removed. I, I'm just skeptical and I need to see the language before I understand how um, happy I can be about that because this whole scenario really has been um, a big drama as, as foot in the door tactics. It's, it has nothing to do about the actual language in the bill really. So they have taken out, they may have taken out some of the language, but who knows what that actually means. And they've already succeeded with foot in the door by even getting us to talk about it. So um, it's, it's, it's quite dire. It's quite dire. So um, let's move on then to the uh, other piece of legislation in currently uh, in the Alberta legislature that's uh, being um, poured over with uh, great uh, controversy, it seems, is uh, Bill 22. So tell us what you know so far about uh, what's been happening with this piece of legislation and where it currently sits. So um, like I briefly mentioned before, Bill 22 is a massive omnibus bill that includes really quite big changes to a lot of different departments um, and new things keep coming out every day about what's actually in this bill um, essentially and when this bill was tabled the government invoked closure on it to limit debate immediately so essentially it got tabled and the opposition hadn't seen it and they invoked closure and so debate is limited to for this massive omnibus bill that covers multiple areas, I think they've got a total of two hours of debate, something like that. Um, so, and given that that bill, as I also mentioned before, has that particular part in it about firing the elections commissioner that is in the middle of actively investigating the governing party, that is quite clearly to me a, a pretty major democratic threat. I mean, they're pushing through legislation that would, they're trying to let themselves off the hook and it makes them look like they're trying to cover things up. And um, they are, I mean, the, I believe it was the finance minister, Travis Taves, I think, who said something like, oh, no, 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 we're just rolling the electoral commission's role into the chief electoral officer's, officer's role and, um, you know, the investigation can still continue. Um, the chief electoral officer can even choose to rehire the elections commissioner. And all of this is just incredibly bizarre. Um, and so, yes, theoretically, the investigation could continue. Uh, but when the major lead on that investigation is gone, that's clearly a, a huge, a huge loss to the investigation. And how do you start it up again? How do you get employees to testify when it's become pretty clear that if you say the wrong thing, you're going to get fired? So, I mean, it's definitely put a huge chill on things that is really quite scary to me. Um, and I find that their diminishing of what they have done to be so brazen that I can hardly believe it. And it's just, they're just f full of 
gaslighting nonsense most of the time when they talk about this stuff to the point where people are really quite stunned. And again, that's part of the bigger, pro the whole bigger project as well. This whole fire housing thing, carpet bombing us with a million different things that are all just completely overwhelming in the hopes that you're not going to notice the major thing where they are corrupting the entire democratic process by clearly trying to get rid of an investigation that has already levied fines of over $200,000 against people in their party. And so it's just shockingly bold in many ways. I am amazed and terrified by how bold this is. Um, yeah, so um, the other day, um, it was yesterday, it feels like the time is a little bit off for me right now, but this was just yesterday that Rachel Notley got kicked out of the legislature. I, I, I've got shivers saying this out loud. This is real authoritarian. No, I, I, this is actual authoritarianism. And... Um, you know, I, I've grown up, I grew up in Alberta, I was born here, I've lived the vast majority of my life here. Conservative governments are not new to me. Low level entitlement type corruption is not new to me. Um, and in many ways, I'm kind of immune to politicians who insist upon business class flights. That's something that I am unfortunately a little bit used to. But this, this is just way over the top beyond what I have ever imagined a government could do. And uh, so, so yes, first they introduced this bill, invoke closure, gaslight the province with essentially saying, no, 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 we're not actually doing that. It's fine. It's just to save money. The investigation can continue when none of that is really true. Um, and so Rachel Notley got up in the House after the House leader. Um, the House leader got up and essentially said, um, no, we're, we're not actually stopping anything. Um, we're not really firing the elections commissioner. And we're not really doing any bad things. This will be efficient. It's about cutting red tape. And we're going to save money. And so... Um, Rachel Notley stood up and uh, said that the House leader was misleading. And as, uh, as some of us may know, that is a pretty strict convention within the legislature that you don't say. You don't say that someone is lying or misleading. You're not allowed to do that. And the speaker can sanction you if you do that. So, um, yeah, watching the exchange between Rachel Notley and the speaker was uh, pretty painful. And, um, you know, now the UCP, of course, choose to focus on the fact that she broke this tiny little rule about saying he was misleading. But at the end of the day, he, he indeed was. He was lying in the House and she chose to point that out which is absolutely her job as the opposition leader, absolutely her job. And, um, you know, she clearly, when, when she was doing her speech in which she said he was misleading, um, she was clearly 
very passionate and angry. And this is real for her. This is real for us. This is not, she's not grandstanding here. She is actually standing there and purposefully breaking a convention because there's no other option. If she doesn't break that convention, she's letting them lie. She's letting them gaslight. She's allowing them to seriously threaten our basic democratic foundations. I would have been livid had she not done that. I would have wondered if she was in on it too, if she hadn't done that. And I, you know, um, I was really very impressed with her speech and she did what needed to be done in these bizarre and quite awful times. Yeah, I totally um, understand how you feel there. And uh, there's a couple of uh, things that you brought up while you were speaking about the last uh, bill here, which kind of reminds me of a similar situation that took place uh, in Ontario, where, you know, the Ontario NDP leader, Andrea Horvath, you know, called out the government on a couple of things that they were doing and, and also got kicked out of the legislature, as well as uh, several of her MPPs. You also mentioned uh, something about the uh, the issue of red tape and how, you know, the government uh, house leader and the ministers were saying that, you know, oh, they're just trying to cut red tape. But we've heard this script before in the Ontario uh, legislature, and we've heard it as well in federal politics. Why do you think these governments and these, uh, you know, conservative parties use these terms uh, so widely uh, when it's almost always been proven to be uh, the wrong thing to say because it's just not true. Well, because, frankly, the truth is not very important to them, unfortunately. And I think that because there's been such good communication out of right-wing think tanks, the minds of the public are really primed to pick up on these words and this language. And on the surface, for people who don't pay attention to politics as much as you or I or your listeners might, red tape reduction is something that sounds pretty practical and uh, pretty reasonable and ideal, really. I mean, obviously, everybody needs to find efficiencies, right? It's the same language. It's the same, a similar language of finding efficiencies, cutting red tape. All of this, these are phrases that have been pushed by right-wing think tanks for so long that people hear it and they identify with it. And so conservatives are very good at using uh, red tape reduction and finding efficiencies as code words for shock and awe cuts to public services and, you know, pretty much doing whatever they want. They can justify in terms of red tape reduction. And I mean, it's quite impressive. Uh, uh, you can say many things about the conservative movement in Canada and North America globally, but they've been very successful at politically making the average person's mind very receptive to their language to the point where, uh, it's very easy for them to just activate a positive association with this kind of stuff. And then after they actually do what they say or do what they do, <laughs> they justify it in red tape, then they do something and then um, are often quite 
unconcerned about the truth of what they've just done and then just keep repeating the the red tape script over and over again, despite the fact that there's a whole lot of evidence to the contrary, that it's not at all about red tape. And our media sometimes calls them out on it, but our media is also being quite degraded over time and uh, they're not capable of fact checking everything or pointing everything out. And of course there's right wing media outlets that are competing with um, genuinely engaged media outlets as well. So there's just a bunch of noise. And I think that conservatives are really good at language and noise and covering. And I think that Kenny is counting on that right now as well. They're using the language, they're using the noise, and they're covering and they're lying. And that's just the script. And ultimately, conservatism is more concerned with preserving itself than it is with truth or democracy. Well, I sincerely hope that uh, shows like this one will continue to uh, shed light on those um, on those lines of messaging and we can start to break that cycle. Dr. Jillian Raddy uh, from the uh, University of Calgary's Department of Family Medicine. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at Jillian Raddy. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show today and I appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk with us. Oh, thanks for having me. It was fun. This has been a special presentation of the Left Behind Podcast. Visit leftbehindpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and updates on socialist politics from around the world.